Hi. Something different for this week's What Comes Next Live with my guest, Gib Bullock. Gib had some internet issues during the call from rural Scotland, and on a few occasions, we completely lost him and he had to dial back in. When I recorded this live, I talked through all the spaces to avoid what radio people would call dead air. However, as an experiment, what we've now done is gone back and left the dead air, left the empty space, the silence. Rest assured that Gib comes back online each time. And as you listen to the podcast, please observe what do you do while it's silent when you're listening? What do you feel? Because towards the end of the podcast, Gib and I talk about this. Thank you for joining me in this experiment. Good afternoon. Um, welcome to this week's What Comes Next Live. We're rapidly approaching 100 of these. Um, but while we're in the mid-90s, my guest this week, who I'm guessing is in Switzerland, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, is Gid Bullock, um, a fellow Scot who I met at an Entrepreneurial Scotland conference a few years ago when he was speaking about a theme that is very dear to his heart in different different ways, entrepreneurship, and really broadly about creative conditions for that. Um, we've not spoken for a wee while. Um, apologize if I drop into some Scots vernacular from time to time, and the accent may even slip away from my neutral English one. Anyway, welcome on this Tuesday afternoon, Gib. Thank you very much for the warm introduction, Tom. And I'm actually... Um, when I'm in Scotland, the accent actually, I'm told, gets a bit stronger. So I'm on the Isle of Bute, where I grew up in Scotland at the moment. And um, so I'll need to remember to, to try and get back to that slower, slightly pronouncing the words. But uh, yes, I'm looking forward to our wee chat, to use the uh, word that you used there. There you go. So you're on the Isle of Bute. Uh, perhaps you can start out by telling us um, a little bit about your background, including the Isle of Bute, and that will probably flow into why you're on the Isle of Bute now. Gosh, life story in, in, in 60 seconds. Well, I was born here, bred here, um, left as quickly as I could from this quiet um, sort of um, former tourist. It was this sort of Ibiza of Scotland, probably in the 50s, 60s, and then it was very much declining uh, after that. So I went off to the bright lights of the city of London to try and seek, you know, fame and fortune and all these things that we're told will make us successful and happy and and you know, ticked some of these boxes, uh, I suppose, was in the late 90s in, in a management consultancy com company, the one that's now called Accenture, big one. Um, but, you know, there was a kind of meaning missing uh, for me in, in that work life. And I know a lot of people, certainly in the current sort of, during the, the lockdown, people had the chance to reflect and think about what they're actually doing and, and, and where they're going. Um, so I got this kind of early. I took a year out to volunteer with VSO uh, in the Balkans, and that was my kind of epiphany. Frankly, that was my first. We'll talk a bit more about slowing down and deceleration and the pace we're all working about. But uh, through the rearview mirror, that was the opportunity I had to get away from that crazy, fast-paced environment, think, reflect, and had the idea there to try and create this, uh, I guess, kind of guerrilla movement within Accenture. So I. Uh, came back with fire in the belly and um, led a team that it created um, a social enterprise really within the company. 
And I'll explain why I'm saying this. There was an opportunity to sort of leave and go and set up a nice, cute little business that would do nice things and, and work with charities. But it was a conscious decision to work um, within um, <laughs> within the Accenture and uh, grew a social business there that worked all over the world and offered a billion worth of, 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 um, of services around the world. Um, working with all the kind of organizations that Accenture wouldn't normally work with and in parts of the world that they wouldn't normally work in. In doing this thing, I get labeled an entrepreneur, which is another red thread that we'll probably talk about. Um, apologies to the French about the language, but uh, uh, an entrepreneur or a social entrepreneur inside an organization is an entrepreneur. So the labels don't really matter. But what is interesting, I think, is this idea that you know, in especially in the context of the Great Resignation, you know, when everybody's kind of like, you know, leaving and thinking about leaving their company or have already left their company, I would contest and say, well, actually, if you want to drive change, rather than, you know, change companies, stay put where you are and change the company you're in. Hmm. You get a super tanker, and let's face it, they are super tankers to move just a small degree in one or other direction, you know, less pollution, less plastic, more sustainable, you can have a real impact. So I was an entrepreneur. I guess to the last thing I would say, and going back to the reason why I'm here back on Butte and I've gone full circle, is that, well, this entrepreneurship movement has really gathered steam and, and it's, it's, it's really something that is becoming part of the business vernacular and the, the World Economic Forum. Schwab Foundation is getting into it. There's a league of entrepreneurs. Are we creating the conditions, to your point you mentioned earlier, are we creating the right conditions mm-hmm. for entrepreneurs to emerge, for these change makers, these social entrepreneurs to emerge and self-identify? And so that's uh, that's what I'm focused on in my work just now. And uh, I'm trying to do a crazy idea to renovate a, a derelict farm, which is two fields away from where I'm, I'm sitting, to create a what I'm calling a business decelerator. So... Everybody's familiar with accelerators and bigger and faster, etc. This is a decelerator, and we can talk more about that. But that's what brings me back here to uh, to this island. Lovely. Well, there's a lot there. I was making a bunch of notes when you were talking. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, Go wherever you want. Let's let's start contextually rather in detail. So there is clearly a value in entrepreneurship. I'm very much with you on the idea of a social enterprise, what I would say, of scale. I'm all about purpose, but I'm most fascinated, most energized by scaling impact, turning that super tank around a degree or two. If it's a multi-billion dollar corporation, it can make a huge difference. But you've got this decelerator, and you can talk a little bit about the concept of that, but I'm fascinated by why do we why do we need a decelerator? So is, it's, there's a reason why that's part of the conditions you're looking at, but I'm actually looking at what needs to change at the top of organizations. That tends to be my bias. How can I influence the system from the top by talking to CEOs? So if, I was, if you had the ear of a CEO, what would you be looking to change to give them so they would have more of the, they could create more of the conditions for entrepreneurship? Right. Well, I'll answer that directly. I mean, we may, we could have a good discussion about um, power shifts in, in, in business. And I know you do coach a lot of CEOs um, with a few exceptions. I'm, I'm not sure they are the ones that are best placed, frankly, to 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 drive the, this this sustainable revolution. But um, they need to create the right conditions for it. Mm-hmm. So what would I say to them? I would say to them that 
um, first of all, you know, they are in the spotlight with Edelman surveys recently are, are just talking about how societal expectations mm-hmm. um, are shifting. Society expects business to step in and do more around everything from net zero to other global global challenges. You can no longer get away with just making widgets profitably within the law. There needs to be more with acute mission statements. About business. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can agree on that. Societal expectations, employee aspirations are changing. If you want to have a story as to how you're going to attract and retain develop and develop talent, you need to have uh, a story about what you're doing and how they can maybe make the world a better place. Your kids at the age they're at, um, you'll know that very well. And people with kids in their, in their 20s will know this. Or if you are in your 20s listening to this, you want some purpose. And, and the good news, I think, for the CEO is there is a huge untapped, I believe, business opportunity uh-huh. in addressing social problems. So for me, you know, the what we'd normally have seen in my day way back as social problems are now quite strategic for business. Um, you could call them the sustainable development goals, but basically how we feed and nourish the next billion on the planet, provide them with clean water, electricity, clean energy, you know, water sanitation, mm-hmm. business opportunities in disguise. And, and so business needs to wake up to that fact and here's the crunch so if you're with me in that chain of logic at the moment there is an opportunity tapping into the, the human ingenuity of employees mm-hmm. and and finding new ways to do these things and solve these problems is an opportunity for um, organizations to work in different ways but the problem is your people are <laughs> there's a pandemic as well as COVID that's on the rise I know there's a pandemic of mental health burnout Exactly. Mm-hmm. People are just too busy doing what they're doing. Yeah. So you are burning out the next Elon Musk or Musk S in your organization. They have maybe already left. They are, or you're not maximizing their potential. So how do we create the right conditions to tap into that human ingenuity mm-hmm. and find ways of monetizing that for business? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I would say. And we're not doing that at the moment because we are too busy doing what we're doing People are programmed to work longer and longer hours, you know, for more and more money and getting less and less happy. So I'm going to pull on a thread that you said, which really resonated for me. I would imagine anybody watching or listening to this um, will will agree with everything you've just said, whether they're in their 40s, 50s and senior leadership or whether they're in their 20s or 30s building their career. And as you say, I've got <laughs> sons in their twenties who are at that uh, that end of it. Um, I have spoken with a number of people who work with corporations to support them in doing social enterprise, including some previous guests on the show. And you know, I think the bucket that that still largely falls in for corporations is the social good budget. Um, it can fall into the L&D budget. In other words, if we take them out, send them off remotely for a period of time, uh, remotely in pandemic, but before the pandemic and hopefully now and soon, off to Africa to work with people on fresh water, et cetera, in small projects. What the thread I think is interesting to pull on is, is like, um, like I think I was talking to Rory Sutherland last week about like how to hit people between the eyes on diversity on boards is around risk and groupthink. In this case, you mentioned things like the STGs, the 70 Sustainable Development Goals, and then we have ESG and all these three-letter acronyms, a lot of which is greenwashing in that they follow through on it, and 
But if we remove this skepticism for a minute and go recognize that these are going to be very powerful drivers for corporations now and in the future, and the CEOs and senior leaders I talk to very much get this at an authentic level. Now, I may, I may be dealing with a subset because I basically follow the, I can't remember the name of the guy who came up with it, but there's the, you know, somebody wrote a book called The No Asshole Rule. For, you know, forgive my language if you're not American, <clears throat> but I don't deal with CEOs or assholes, and there are a bunch of them still out there who want to control everything. But the people I talk to um, really get this. So it's what's fascinating is that there's potentially a way to allocate far more budget to this. And so many knowledge workers bill their time by the hour, by every six-minute increment, no matter what firm they're in. So they've got to deliver, and it's all about short-term maximization rather than long-term optimization. So I think you're 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 definitely hitting something there about like what's the threat? What's this? What's What's the language that can be used to um, get this out of a deeper budget bucket, profit. Uh, pocket? Profit. That's what they understand. And, you know, yeah, you're maybe dealing with a subset. I, I don't know. But um, I think um, you talked about the CSR thing. There is, I think, still a surprising amount of people at the senior levels in business who have grown up over the last 30 or so mm -hmm. years with a fairly broken system that we can see some of the collateral damage from that um, on people, on planet, on whatever. They may have made a lot of money from that system, but there's still this mindset of are you doing business or are you doing good? And the yes. thing. Whereas I think we have to, if you will, democratize in some way. We are starting to see, and this is an, an area I've talked to quite a lot about or written about, is we're starting to see a democratization going on within business and of how we innovate within business. So it will no longer be a white man at the top pulling a lever and saying we do this or we don't do that. We're already seeing McKinsey believe that employees will have as much influence over business strategy as shareholders had in, during our careers. Okay, So mm -hmm. we are seeing that they're flexing their muscles collectively. Um, Amazon work, Alphabet Workers Unions, Google, um, Strikes, um, Microsoft, there's a lot of activism within companies mm. and so how do you preempt that stuff how do you actually provide a space If, if we were talking about the, um, you know, the fact that things democratization. So yeah. I think we can get this and, and people who've listened regularly will, will know that I'm a big believer in this. And one of my um, one of the things I talk to CEOs about is I say your role is no longer to have the answers. Your role is to ask the right questions to your organization. So that's one of the broad thoughts. Now, perhaps talk a little bit more. You, you, you published your book a few years ago. 
and uh, you can anybody can just Google Gib Bullock B U L L O C H and uh, find everything about about him on his website and his book. Um, but in those few years, you, you're, this idea of deceleration, talk, talk to me a bit about that and the decelerator programs that you're running as one thing. And what, what does it take for people to have to give permission for that? What's the business benefit for that? talk a bit more about decelerators and what, what needs to happen to create those conditions to give permission for it to find budget for it it's, you know and what's the value of it sure well you mentioned the the the, the book as well just before I get cut off the, the the book which was really yeah um a journey story of actually trying to you know what it's like trying to drive change within a large organization and and the the problems that there are to, um, you know, attitudes at senior leadership, et cetera, et cetera, um, challenging what I call the corporate immune system. Um, and really, you know, I found myself in hospital, as you know, Tom, and mental health and business is something that, that um, you know, is a still a taboo subject. And the book was partly about trying to address this challenge around mental health. But actually, it's about holding a mirror up to this crazy system and saying was it me that went a bit crazy in 2014 or was it actually the system I was trying to 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 to, to change mm -hmm. and um, obviously it's a leading question I believe it's the system that is wrong that we are you know you do not deal with the canary in the coal mine that falls off its perch by sort of you know putting on Fitbits on it or other kind of medications and and and, and wondering why the canary is not very well you fix the toxic system in the mine and I think we have to look at that in terms of the whole future of work. And I, I do believe that there is this window of opportunity at the moment uh, as we think about the future of work mm. in a new way that we're in, the, you know, the, the kaleidoscope has all the pieces kind of um, in flux and we're thinking about, do we return to the office? Do we not return to the office? Do we come back to hybrid working? But there's a whole broader thing about how do we create the spaces that are going to be conducive to um, creativity, inspiration, um, well-being, yes, and that's going to allow that these Elon Musk type characters, I keep using this crazy sort of individual, and, crazy and you get the idea, it's a metaphor for, you know, a radical thinker within organizations, that's what I'm trying to find, is radical thinkers hmm. within organizations, and, and how do we create the conditions for that to happen, and my sense is, it's not slowed down it's slow down in order to accelerate slow down in order to look laterally at challenges business challenges business opportunities mm -hmm. see things in new ways let's just pause where you were and you talk about the, the value of radical thinkers within organizations. 
And I was just on a thread on Twitter today with a bunch of organizational development people. And somebody was asking a very vague question about what interesting workspaces have you talked about? And they actually meant physical workspaces. But these very experienced people who jumped in on thread and basically went, actually, that's a hygiene factor. You need to have a decent workspace. But then it all becomes about trust and culture. And say a couple of things just from inspired by listening to you. The slow down bit, um, I've had a lot of learning recently about inclusion around ADHD. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things I, I learned about ADHD around the rather simplistic stuff is that ADHD people, when they focus, they focus incredibly deeply. You know, and a bomb could go off next to them, they wouldn't notice. And they'll typically find those in the flow, in the zone moments four or five times a day. If you do ask most senior leaders in corporations how often they get those moments where they can just think deeply about things, luckily they'd be lucky if it's an hour a week. Right. And that's, that's the top where that's their job to slow down. So the language I've often used around strategy uh, and true strategy, not just the pillars and McKinsey reports, um, naming a McKinsey deliberate because I, I've been known to follow in behind them and their reports have, I could pretty much tell you what 50 pages yeah. say. Um, is slow down now to speed up later, which is very much your language of slow down now to accelerate later. But to me, it, it does require trust in your organization. They will come up with the answers that you need, and they may not be what you thought of, what you were thinking of. So if the more the more a leadership team dictates downwards, we're going to give you 10% of your time, or we're going to give you a budget to go to a decelerator on the Isle of Butte. But when you come back, we need measurable outcomes that can add to our bottom line in the next three months. That's the old way of doing things. It's very big quantum shift that is needed in this window of opportunity we're talking about. And mental health is, and slowing down for that reason, could be a, a catalyst that opens up a whole bunch of uh, bus uh, things of business value. I'm less interested in this being, you know, this is not, not sort of, you know, you know, spa for increasing number of burnout people or people that can't hack it in the, in the actual system. This is about how do we create breakthrough innovation? Mm -hmm. in organizations um and and this idea of you know we'll give you 10 percent or 20 percent extra time to be innovative or creative is nonsense right because you know it, it may come from a top-down edict but as soon as anybody actually well a you're still expected to work the other 60 hours of the week um you know already yeah. to get the job done so if you want to work 80 hours that's great you know so it's, it's an empty promise and as soon as also you start to think about doing some of these things that are outside of the the norm then the immune system of the corporation is starting to come in and whether that's performance management systems or objectives or, you know, what have you done? We don't, we haven't created this space for these new breakthrough ideas to, to, to actually come through. And, um, and that's a challenge for companies and, um, you know, uh, whether it's the, the people at the top that don't have the space to slow down and be in that flow zone or people further down, mm -hmm. um, that's a real problem. That is a real problem. We cannot, as I was mentioning when we get cut off, be innovative in the 70 hours hour of the working week. There's a great report um, out recently on disruptive leadership by a group called T minus who surveyed a lot of people and 60%, I think it was off the top of my head, said that they were just too busy yeah. doing their jobs to mm -hmm. be creative, to be innovative. And that's a real problem especially mm -hmm. in companies like the one that I was in, which was a human capital company, a consultancy, talked about McKinsey, I was in Accenture. Yeah. You know, that is a real problem that 60% of people are just too busy unconsciously doing 
mm-hmm. just just doing, doing, doing. And what I'm trying to say is, yeah, slow down. And then it's actually, you know, inspired by nature. You again with Rory, we're talking about walks in nature and yeah. non straight lines and things like that. Inspired by art or music or all these other parts of our identity. How can we then be pow? You know, we're not just doing, we're actually just executing on things. Well being becomes a nice byproduct mm-hmm. of a very different way of thinking about our work, what we're doing, where we're doing it, how we're doing it. Well-being will be the byproduct, not the North Star. The North Star is tapping into human ingenuity to tackle social and environmental problems through business solutions. Tapping into human ingenuity to solve social and environmental problems through business solutions. Profitably. Profitably. Uh, yeah, there's always profit. There's always profit available. There's a lot of paradigms need to be shifted about optimizing versus maximizing profit. And I think we're entering entering a very interesting era, which you and I are both old enough to remember high inflation eras just at the start of our careers. Um, but, you know, you have to be in your 60s to have really lived through it. Right? Um, not there so yet. It's, been, it's been that long and we're not that old. So um, um, I think you're a couple of years younger than me, too, um, despite being even more follically challenged. Um, so uh, indeed no but it's it's yeah whether maximizing profit or optimizing profit i've no problem with profit being made and my my you know i believe and there's there's evidence to to show this that there is a lot of profit to be made in in addressing some of these challenges i think what we're also trying to do as well is that you know there's still this very linear thinking in business that we have people inside you know, their own industry swim lane, if you will. Um, so with it, when we look at the opportunities that are around health, then we think of pharmaceutical companies or around nutrition, we think of FMCG companies or food companies. Whereas I think the solutions will have to be where we break down some of these barriers and bring people together to co-create um, new business models, new products, new services that don't necessarily fit within some of these boundaries that we have between companies. And that goes for sectors as well, the public and the private. I think there's an awful lot of you know, business value that can be unlocked by the WWF or Oxfam or Save the Children, all these organizations that I work with a lot, bringing their knowledge and expertise to business and business thinkers. So I think it's, it's a co-creation exercise. It's, um, it's a collaboration exercise, and it's, it's really thinking out the box. Uh, and that's not for 10 people off on the side in an R&D department, heads down, working out how to do things. It's about having, you know, having everyone in the organization as part of the R&D department. Totally. As, as would, you, mentioned sector, you mentioned some large charities. Um, yeah. I would also throw in, I've got quite a lot of experience in the last quite a long time, working on areas like vision, strategy, culture with, ministry policy unit, central central government in multiple countries. And it's fascinating. My first question to them always is, tell me about your business. And they shudder because they say, I'm not a business. We don't have profit motives. Um, of course, they are a business. They have huge financial responsibilities. What's fascinating, though, is they often, because they're not selling their time, right? Most knowledge workers are in some shape or form. They tend to have more time to focus on research, on thinking, on quality. So you'll find that they work for a politician normally, and the politician will, was elected, will come in, somebody will give them a whizzy idea, and if you don't watch out, they'll turn it into policy within five seconds. 
and they go, okay, well, is that a good policy? Does that work? And they take a longer view, so they slow down. And sometimes the idea is that they're not all, for those who've watched Yes Minister or Yes Prime Minister, they're not obstructive, but they're there to make sure that the longer view is taken than somebody looking for the next soundbite. Um, so when you get, uh, I, I many years ago, there was a mentoring program run in Scotland, and I was living in the Cayman Isles at the time, and they said, we're taking very senior public sector people from the civil service. This is where it really started for me, and helping them to be mentored by people from the business sector. So somebody in a relevant sector to my area of work experience, who is roughly my age, right? Um, I was in the sort of top cadre of the Scottish government, said, I just want to help be able to think like private sector. And to be honest, we're, we're friends now 20 years later, but I learned a lot from them, and they learned a lot about private sector thinking. And the same thing occurs across industries, and I had a CEO talk to me recently, and actually, to be, to be honest, if I think about what people pay me for, is to have maybe an hour a week or a few hours together in person once a month to slow down, to think differently. And they kind of pay me to be a little bit of a Rory Sutherland, to be the guy who sits there talking to loads of different people on, on conversations like this. And um, they asked me one day on a call, they said, who should I be talking to to broaden my horizons? And they said, anybody not doing what you do. <laughs> That's absolutely it. It's, it's absolutely it. You know, and, 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 you know, but also, I think this talking to people, um, people not like you, but it also might be just actually going and having some, some, some space, some, some time to yourself, some time to reflect. Maybe the answer is actually somewhere in your head, but, you, you know, there's so much noise going on that it's not coming through. Go and sit and stare at a piece of art for half an hour. Go for a yeah. long walk in silence. In fact, yeah. some of the more senior execs and some more progressive companies are doing silent retreats now. The answers are probably within. There's a beautiful concept. Um, it's a Japanese word. Uh, and we use it a lot in our decelerator programs. It's called ma. Yeah. And ma is basically, I was going to just say what ma is. It's kind yeah, of, go ahead. Well, you'd think I'd frozen, right, if I just said on, again on the on the line, but it's actually intentional space. The space full of possibilities. It's mm -hmm. the space between the notes. And the space between the notes is every bit as important in music as the actual tune. You ask any musician or whatever. And so where I look back at my diary for 30 years in the corporate world, right, back to back, you know, I was going to be busy to be effective and productive. It was how little gap I could have between my meetings and I'd jump from one to the next. There was no none of that space. So I would, I would be saying to people, maybe, you know, Maybe just sit there and just see if you could sit in silence uh, you know, for the first 15 minutes, see if they still pay you for it. They might, because if they come up with a brilliant insight and you've caused them to sit there, not checking their phone, not speaking, not listening, not doing, but just being, yeah. being for 15 minutes. We're not human doings, we're human beings. So ask them to be a human being for 15 minutes and then charge them a lot of money. I need, I need to stop talking to you very often because we're too similar. Everything you're saying for the, the, um, the, the reason you emphasize, let me explain what my is because I'm nodding feverishly. Um, but I, I totally agree. And as you meant, as we mentioned, Rory was my guest last week and he talked about going for a walk right at the end, but because we'd already gone way over time, I, I didn't say anything, but the next day I wrote a daily blog and I reflected on an example where I was, when I was 20 years old, I had a 21 year old car rusted to bits. And I was trying to take the, the suspension off it. And I'd worked 11 o'clock at night in the middle of summer, right, trying to get it, and I couldn't solve the problem. And eventually I learned at that age, 
if you just go sleep on it. Now imagine how many people are in an agile scrum team trying to code something till two in the morning. And one of them goes, you know what, I'm never going to get the answer tonight. Or a lawyer in New York trying to turn something around for an M&A closing. They're going to do rubbish law work. If they, but imagine turning around to the current culture and saying, let me sleep on it. Not 15 minutes, but because the brain keeps processing overnight and you wake up with the answer. And to the point about Ma, um, the idea of it being the space between the notes, I did write a piece on this years ago. And the Western... A Western example to look at this is there's a composer called John Cage, and he wrote a piece of music called Four Minutes and 28 Seconds of Silence. Yes. Brilliant. Love it. I put a, I, so if you were to search my blog for John Cage listeners, there's a talk about Ma a little bit, just very similar to how Gib described it. But there's also this video of, the, of it being performed in a concert hall, and it's remarkable. You can, you can feel, you can hear every breath in the audience. You can feel Beautiful. The, the, the energy as the people sit there and some are calm, some are nervous, some of the musicians are grinning, others are just in their thoughts. It's just an amazing four minutes and 28 seconds of silence. There's some research has come out, um, triggering a lot of thoughts in, in my mind, and I know we're, we're almost out in time, but let me share a couple of very quick ones. People, there's some research, and I'll look it up for your show notes, um, where people would rather have an electric shock than sit and do nothing. That's this uncomfortableness for 15 minutes. You know, the choice, you know, they take some pain over the idea of sitting there without touching iPhones and all these addictive technologies. The other thing you talk about is the brain and going for a walk and thinking, you know, we think that to solve a problem, more hours at the desk, thinking harder and harder. Whereas, you know, there's a great book by Annie Murphy-Paul that talks about the extended mind, where actually we use less of our brain bandwidth when we're moving. Me sitting here, Maybe it's because I use my, I'm moving my hands for this reason. But for me to hold my hands still and sit still, and for you to sit still, actually is using up a lot of energy um, to keep us still because we're not designed this way. If I'm moving my hands or ideally out walking, I'm freeing up brain capacity to solve problems. That's why people pace up and down. I think so. Our mind is not just this hard drive on the top of our shoulders. We have gut intelligence, heart intelligence, and all the other stuff around about us that will help to solve the problems. So I, I leave you these couple of... Uh, that, that piece is amazing. Now, you can't leave without telling us a bit more about the types of programs you're operating on Butte. I think you do in person now, but there were some, some trials on, online, but in person. What are the sort of things that you're, you're offering? Well, COVID has, you know, COVID obviously we had to go online and it's remarkable how we can actually do things like art and improv theatre and beautiful music on a Zoom call, but we're a bit Zoom fatigued. I get that. We're back online. We're back, sorry, we're back physical now. We have a sort of immersion program that gets people, you know, deep from a Monday to Friday, um, deeply connecting with ourselves and the community. And we're using local artists and musicians. For me, the thing I'm really excited about, though, is how we, less than a sort of retreat, how we actually create a, a sort of a, a place um, that can be replicated elsewhere in, in, in rural Scotland, how we turn the, the, the sort of Achilles heel of rural Scotland when, when I was growing up in this place of isolation and remoteness into actually a comparative advantage. You know, I had to go to the big office in the city centre when I was 20-whatever. Hmm. How actually... If these are places where innovation and inspiration and purpose 
and well-being are going to thrive, then rural Scotland starts to actually have something of an advantage in these communities that we sort of hollowed out economically and demographically. Hmm. So I'm trying to sort of say, come here, continue your day job, we'll have core working hours, but you will have a rich a la carte menu of activities that will be conducive to making you better at what you're doing. So hmm. it's not slow down, stop. It's actually start the day with maybe some meditation or some yoga from a local person. Do your work, do your calls, go for a long walk. Think about your business challenge while you're walking to a beach with a guide locally. Do your core working hours. Then you might go and do crafted woodwork. You might go and do um, art collaboratively. You might go and have uh, a Kaylee in the evening, a, a Scottish dance. So things using our body, things using the right brain. So it's to make us more productive. And you might be staying in an off-grid pod, staying at the stars, um, you know, um, in a sort of different place where you're living together with like-minded people. So, so that's, that's, that's so the kind of position. What's fast? I mean, one, there's several things fascinating. We'll just talk about this for a bit, I think, if, we, if you're okay with a few more minutes. I'm fine. When you first talked to you about the concept of this, it was a few years ago, I've been bubbling in you for a long time, and then you, you've... Um, it's less, you've got this physical place you're building, but it's actually about the idea, um, and that, that will be one location. But I noticed that when you first did it, on the trial one, which I wasn't able to attend, you, um, it was bringing in people from the local community. So you can bring in your uh, faculty who may be from, over, from off island, if you will, um, and they can contribute some things. But I like this one potential evolution of it, is the idea that you can have a, a concept that can be replicated. I was I was mentoring a, an artist on in Iona recently online because I didn't fly to Iona or drive to Iona, and they've got a small you know economically struggling community, but they do get seasonal tourism and and it's fascinating and it's a, so many places you could think of in rural Scotland that would could become an asset um, if people are and one of the big questions is what do we mean by core hours if they're still expected to punch in for eight, eight plus hours a day, then that's, that's a struggle. But if they're allowed to say, well, let's look at this a little bit differently. Um, and I think there is a window opportunity for that. I mean, I know a lot of people who are outside London, like where I live, to commute into central London would be two and a half hours a day. And I'm in greater London still, just at the edge of it. It's crazy. Um, so there's a lot of people are finding balance in different ways. And then, you know, people who have spent 30 years in a career are actually, it took them a long time to realize it. They go, actually, I can knock off for an hour, go to the gym, come back, and flexibly work the way you and I have been doing for, for quite a number of years. Completely. And so the, the, the key, though, uh, Tom, is, is it's self-directed. You know, mm. you can choose. You can come here. And if you want to work your 80 hours, uh, you know, from a different place on a Scottish island, that's fine. But we make it easy by having things that you opt into. It's not forced. But the woodwork class will start at five. You know, so you know in advance that you can block that time out from doing a Zoom call or doing a yeah. podcast like this. Yeah. So, you know, there are core times when there will be things offered, but you mm. can decide to go for a walk. You can go, decide to go for a swim. And to this talent, this local talent thing, yes, we have what we call a cast of these kind of people that are non-business people coming in. But increasingly, I'm finding in this community, and it won't be unique to this rural community, yeah. tons of artists, tons of creatives. I've, we use a local improv person who's living here. There's a bunch of people have built a rowing boat where you sit with four people rowing slowly in cadence. And it's a great metaphors that people can do to see mm. that actually to make a rowing boat of four people go as fast as possible, it's not going to be pulling your 
your own ore as quickly as you can. That's what we're all doing in business. We're all pulling our own ore, and it's not. Whereas, clearly, you know, in a rhythm like this, the boat goes along. So there's no shortage of things that people can be doing yeah. with these people who are non-business folks. But the, the symbiosis is that when you bring people from Salesforce, Deloitte, and Accenture, and all sorts of other places here, connections are, are made and knowledge is transferred both ways. Yes. And this is about regenerating a local community that has struggled. And it's about regenerating the planet through getting people to think differently, think new ways about their role in, in business and where they work from. So it's all. I know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm selling the idea rather than a whatever. No, but with, yeah, absolutely. And but I know you all have already thought of this, but I want to be explicit in my thinking. Is this the, the I think there's less power, and if you had a, a full cohort from the same company, then if you have people, there's one from lots of different companies. You know, I've spent, I've gone twice in the Modern Elder Academy run by Chip Conley, which is a different context. It's still about slowing down. And what I found really powerful is they'd adopted the less is more approach to the what was on offer, um, so that people uh, realizing that these were a bunch of people who'd been around the block a few times and from totally different backgrounds. And there were a lot of learnings from just spending time with the other people there. Um, and I think that's absolutely a powerful thing. Um, so the, the slow down to speed up later and, and sometimes less is more. And I think one of the accidental things they found coming out of COVID was they yeah, started to go, the, um... we, we can't run all these programs, but let's have people come down and use the space and stay there on holiday. And they just found that people were, were working while they were there and making the most of the different add-ons, much like you're looking at. So very cool. I was just saying the, the yeah, Festina Lenti was the sort of motto that I, I learned, sort of haste and slowly. Uh, that was the motto of uh, Marcus Aurelius. But um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Tom. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that I do apologize for some of these um, yep. connection problems we had earlier on, but no my suggestion would be um, you either edit them out or maybe you just actually play like a little bit of classical music for 30 seconds. <laughs> maybe we play this bit first where we talk about the mass space and say, you will get 30 seconds a couple of times through this and just use it as time to yourself. You know, that would be uh, that would be good. I might yeah. ask, I normally never edit these, but it's a unique thing that we had cut out. So I've not had that before. And I might ask my webmaster to do that because what I did do, fascinatingly, now you talked about Ma, was I talked through the space like a radio host who didn't want to leave dead air. Well, there you go. I, 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 there's nothing really to say. Uh, there. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, I do. Uh, there's not, but not to that point. I think people can reflect on that point. But from things going wrong, I think um, there are amazing opportunities for creating new things out of that, and 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 so embracing. This is where improv is so interesting where there's no right and wrongs. Things go wrong and you just embrace them. And that's how breakthroughs are going to happen. So many of these great new products came from accidents that were meant to be something else, right? So, you know, maybe we're co-creating something with all the, you know, the flaws oh, of technology and all the rest of it. And there you go. And, um, yeah, thanks for um, thanks for filling the gaps. Maybe next time you don't. <laughs> exactly. And I can't resist telling you one last story when you mentioned boats. I was at a retreat for about 50 of us for a business in 10 years ago on Loch Lomond in the middle of summer. And we escaped the midges by going out on boats, on, on big big canoes that held about eight people, like Canadian canoes paddling on one side. And the uh, head of the business, where do you think they sat on the boat? 
Well, they'd want to be at the front, probably. But um, yeah. leading, leading they, from leading they did from sit behind. at the front. Yeah. And who's the? Where's the only place you should be on a boat in order to give instructions to correct stroke rate and? Well, I've I've learned that from the rowing I did at the weekend. The cox is sitting up there with the rudder leading from behind. Yeah. So the point is, you have to be at the back of the boat to give the instructions. But there was the CEO sitting at the front, barking at us to what to do, and he could not see what was happening behind it. So there are many lessons from doing things in different. I, ways. I rest my case. I rest my case on, uh, on the senior leaders not maybe being the right ones to drive this change. That well, I think that's also a key point you're making. It, it, you know, leadership has to come from all parts of the organisation. Entrepreneurship is about trusting your people. So. A lot of great stuff today. I look forward to seeing you in person at some point in the near future. And people can find you at, uh, find under your name, but also, I won't ask them to spell Craig Berrock, but they can basically find you under Gib Bullock and Isle of Butte. And there's lots of really cool things happening. And uh, all the best, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Tom.